This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to this week's No Name Ever podcast. I'm James Byrne. I'll be hosting this week and I'm joined as always by Natalie Bromley. We're going to be discussing the 2-1 win against West Brom. Um, nice to get well get back to winning ways when we're back playing football, which is nice. Um, obviously, good win against West Ham last time out. Um, I wasn't on that podcast, if you haven't listened yet. Uh, we did do a, an all-ladies podcast. Uh, it's well worth a listen if you can check that out on our website. Um, I'd say the biggest thing to take away, Natalie, here is um, it's just nice to get a result at the Hawthorns because every time we've been there previously, we've put in possibly our worst performance of that that respective season away from home. Um, what did you think of the game? Well, I, I just I, I'm not quite sure what how to react really. As the results were coming in, I was thinking, I'm sorry, we're winning at the Hawthorns. What is this sorcery? Um, but obviously, yeah, I, I agree with you, James. It was a very, very well-earned win and it's about flipping time, isn't it? I think the last time, I think your dad put it on Twitter actually, I think the last time that um, we won at the Hawthorns, neither of us were alive. So was it like 1967 or something ridiculous like that? I think it was a a long time ago anyway. So um, massively delighted to get that hoodoo off our backs. Uh, And I think it was going to be the season, wasn't it, that we were going to do it. I think we'd we'd run into a, a situation where West Brom were, though well, they, they're gone now, aren't they? I think that that was their last chance saloon on Saturday. And we're just breaking every single um, stereotype and every single, um, I guess, unwanted stereotype about Burnley this season. So it just seemed written on the cards that this would be the season that we would win. Um, good game as well, actually. Um, a little bit of a dip in performance levels, I think, in the second half, but um, no doubt we'll, we'll come on to talk about that later on. I'm not... Uh, I'm not entirely sure we maintain the same level of intensity and um, technical ability throughout the full 90 minutes. But you know what? It, it, you don't need to. Um, you know, as, as long as you ride the dips in games, you know, competently. And Deitch has talked about this before. He's talked about when this team's under pressure and when they are suffering from a little bit of loss of form just to do the key things and the basic things well just to keep them in the game and as long as we do that and then um, obviously take our chances when we get them yeah, then you said that. happy days amazing to, to get a result at last at the whole phones it definitely has been a long time I can't remember exactly how many years ago it was um, but we in, in the first half in particular I thought we were excellent uh, we'll start at the very top of the game uh, Dash made some 
some lineup changes, which is pretty rare for, for him. He normally likes to, to stay with the same team, but he did something that a lot of fans have been asking for for quite a while now in dropping Hendrick uh, and obviously giving Wood the opportunity to start. Uh, Wood's really impressed up front, I think, with Barnes in the last couple of substitute appearances. Obviously, grabbed himself a couple of goals, uh, and the two of them together have looked like quite a threat, and, and we've looked like scoring more goals than we have all season, to be honest, when the, the two are together. Um, Goodmanson also missed, missed out due to injury. So it was a, a, an opportunity for GK to, to come into the side. We've not seen him uh, in a little while. Uh, we've maybe not seen as much as we would have expected due to the fact, obviously, we signed Aaron Lennon as well. But I think both wingers had, had great games. and it, It's interesting to see how many good wingers there now are in our, in our side. Um, Natalie, were you pleased to see the changes that were made? And, and do you think that should be sort of the, the line-up to end the, the season on for the final running? Yes, 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 and yes. <laughs> um, we, we've all talked, haven't we? I think you and I have talked about this and, and we talked about it last week as well. The fact that once Brady became injured and then DeFore as well, 4-5-1 just wasn't working for us. We were struggling to get any form of supply up to Ashley Barnes and, and we didn't look like a side that were going to score any goals. We only have ever really looked like we had one goal in us. Um, as the recent games, I think once we got that 11 game, um, unwinning um, streak behind us and we started to play we got to 40 points we started to play with a bit more freedom and a bit more relaxed every single time Dyche brought Wood on and played him up front with Barnes and went to 4-4-2 we actually looked like you say James really really threatening and I haven't seen that level of attacking threat for quite some time. I mean, let's be honest, Deitch's teams aren't famous for being fast, direct, well, not direct, but fast and attacking and, and you know, scoring plenty of goals. He very much works from the back, keeps it very disciplined in defence and takes chances as and when they come to him. So um, I guess my only element of surprise was that he actually went for it from the beginning. I'd kind of expected that he would fall into the routine of, starting four five one and keeping um a little bit of discipline and shape to the side and just keeping in the game and then bring Wood on as an impact player um and switch to four four two in, in the, the sort of early stages of the second half to push on and try and find the goals that are needed. But you know, credit to him. Um he went for it to the start. And you, you know what there's there's no reason to. I think this sounds really awful from a from a West Brom perspective, but we were playing bottom of the league in a side that had just lost seven games, lost seven games back to back. Um, Pardew's had zero impact, and obviously he's now gone as well. Zero impact. They've sat two managers this season, um, and we were away from home, and actually nobody expected us to win. Weirdly, because of this strange record we've got at the Hawthorns. So why not go for it? I I really want to see Deitch throw caution to the wind the rest of this season now and just play with a little bit of freedom and experiment with a few players and, and just go for it because we've got an opportunity for European football potentially this season and why would you not try and take that opportunity? Very true. Um, just to move on to the goals, so just been saying about how when Barnes and Wood have both been in the side, we've more threatening and there's been more goals. Well, both scored again on Saturday uh, and Barnes's was something really special. Um, I think Ashley Barnes has sort of come into his own a little bit this season. Um, previously, he's been the type of player who maybe comes up with a big goal um, every now and then. He, he can never fault his work rate, but I think he's added a, a bit more consistency in scoring, particularly of late to his game uh, this season. He's looking the best he's ever played, I think. and And he's just pulled out 
one of the the finishes of the season from a striker in in the eighteen yard box. Um, from his own interviews after, I'm not sure he expected it to to come off uh, as it did, but um, it it came off and it was quite spectacular. And I'm I'm sure he's probably still watching it now. Actually, to be honest, it was that good. Um, what did you think of the goal? And the other key thing I think to mention about it is it a great little bit of build up as well from us and uh, a good cross from Aaron Lennon, which is something that. I think we said earlier in the season we were really lacking crosses getting to people who were available to to do something with them. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think Lennon's just getting better and better every single game, isn't he? I think it took him a couple of games to maybe settle into the side a little bit. I think there were a couple of home fixtures where I wasn't as impressed as maybe I thought I was going to be. Um, and I, you know, what are we like as fans? We, you know, we, we sign players of Lennon's quality for the first time, I think ever. And, you know, I can't believe we're actually in a position where we're signing players like Aaron Lennon. And then you just want them to, to be a magician on the pitch straight away, don't you? And, and it, it doesn't happen that way. We're very impatient as fans, I think. But certainly in the last couple of games, um, I've really seen him. I think he started the West Ham game. I think was he had a really good game there. And on Saturday again, he was just really good. He's also playing with a little bit of freedom as well. And he's just got that pace that we're sadly lacking in it. It's just so lovely to see. So, yeah, the, the, the build-up play for the goal was, was fantastic and it was a really great cross. It reminded me very much of the days where we used to have Trippier being able to put balls like that into the box. Um, obviously, you know, he's not a defender, isn't Lennon, but he's, he has still got that ability to whip balls in and it was it was that kind of skill and it was that kind of accuracy just to put it where he wanted in the box and beat his defender as well it was really good um but the uh the absolute credit and, and the whole everything about that goal was was uh, young ashley it's really funny actually because as as we're recording this um i in my office when we record the podcast i have the burnley 2018 calendar in front of me and obviously it was the first of April over the weekend so <laughs> April is Ashley Barnes which I thought was very uh, fitting but also Dean Marnie I think that might be the greatest Burnley calendar feature ever Dean Barnie Dean, Mar- Dean Barnie Dean Marnie and Ashley Barnes so anyway that's just a little interlude for, for the uh, for the listeners get uh, get April on your calendars if you've got them um, but yes Ashley Barnes I am absolutely delighted for him for the season that he's had this year. I have never seen him play like he has this season. And it feels like he's developing into actually the technical footballer that we didn't really think he was. We've always had a lovable rogue relationship with Ashley Barnes. We always used to joke about him jumping up all arms and legs and all jumping around and, and you know, knocking people over. And it's just clumsy, Ashley. And he's he was always been really good for disrupting play for us and trying to get us free kicks. But And then, like you say, James, just popping up with an important goal there and then. But this season hasn't been like that for Ashley. It's been... There's been a calmness to his game and there's been a thought process and he's been cleverer in his play and he's put himself in positions that he maybe wouldn't have seen before and obviously a lot of that is down to the training and development and he's had to step up this season and and take the responsibility for the main scorer with with the injuries that we've had and so obviously the, the, the backroom staff are going to be really working hard with him but I think the biggest thing for me on Saturday was just the audacity to just try it. Like how much confidence has Ashley Barnes got at the moment that he thought in his head, 
you know what? I know what I'm going to do here. I'm going to try a little overhead bicycle kick because that's the angle that I've got. And yeah, like you say, I don't know think he expected it to go in, but when it does, they are so spectacular and they're a fan favourite, aren't they? So I just, I love it. And I just, I just, it's just, oh, we've always got gripes, haven't we? It's really bad, but it's just so frustrating that we've had quite a few goals this season that if they'd have been scored by one of the top six, if Kane had scored it or De Bruyne had scored they would have literally, they'd have been on repeat every half an hour through Sky Sports News. They'd have been on every single channel. We'd have been at it rammed down our throats for an entire weekend. And because it's not one of the top six, I'm not just saying it's just Burnley. I think all of the sides outside of the top six get this treatment. We see it once and everybody's like, oh my God, look at this spectacular goal. That's that's You'll not see a better goal than that this season. And then the sort of post-match um, media is all finished and we don't see it again so I'd like to see us start next season in our third consecutive um, league just if we do manage to finish seventh and we do start well again next season and we do sign um, well in the summer I'd just like us to start getting a little bit more credit for what we're doing and what we're doing well Just to quickly go back to something you mentioned right at the beginning of your point there actually uh, Natalie, Aaron Lennon uh, the first couple of games I think we were playing him on the, the left hand side which I mean, anyone who's seen much of uh, Lennon's career knows Lennon much prefers playing on the right. And I think since we've moved him to the right-hand side uh, against his former team, Everton, you know, we, we've seen that, that really pay off. Uh, and it'll be interesting to see uh, whether Dash sticks with that going forward now. Uh, I think he will. I think he's seen uh, just how good uh, Lennon can be playing on the right for us. And, and we really benefit from it. And, and to to think we've got a player of you know that sort of class. I know he's maybe um, on the decline in his career, uh, but he's still an immensely talented player, uh, and you know he's still more than capable of playing at that that mid to to top level of the of the Premier League, right where we are at the moment, which is probably higher than any of us ever expected we'd see Burnley. To be honest, if you uh, rewind ten years, so it, it's quite special, I think, to see a player of his class and uh, probably the first real player we've we've signed who's been uh one of the sort of top sides for for a good amount of his career um who we haven't signed when he's sort of on the way out like Ian Wright or uh, Paul Gascoigne uh, to to rewind to the the 90s um so yeah really good goal obviously there from from Ashley Barnes for the first one um Wood adds a bit more of a, a workman like second but I think after that we did something that Burnley have been guilty of many times this season, maybe, and we took our foot off the gas a little bit. Um, luckily, West Brom uh, look a shadow of uh, the team they should be this season, uh, and they weren't really able to, to capitalise on that, only getting a consolation goal. But do you think it's a little bit concerning that we don't always keep pressing right to the end of the game and you know keep up that attacking intent that we were showing, particularly in the first half, Natalie? Um Yes and no. I think I, I touched on this a little bit in, in the opening um, sections of this podcast. And, I, you know, I expressed slight frustration that we didn't keep up the tempo and we didn't keep up the technical awareness all the way through the game. But then, you know what, unless you're Man City in this current season, not many sides do. It's quite a big ask to to perform at that level for a full 90 minutes. Um, I guess... Oh... Uh, my first, well, I guess my general frustration with with Burnley towards the end of games is 
we ha- this side does have a tendency, and I, I've got to admit it's been reduced a lot recently, but it has a tendency to sit back and defend for its lives in the last 10, 15 minutes of a game. Um, if it's you know if they've got the noses in front, they'll really try and see the game out, and that's always dangerous in this league because, as we've all seen, they can be. Um, very susceptible to score, uh, conceding very late goals and, and losing points or dropping points where they shouldn't do. I feel like that's been eliminated quite a bit from the latter part of this season. I don't feel like we're doing it as much. Um, but And I, I do also think as well that we are getting a lot better at reacting to conceding goals. Um, but we still have that slight nervousness about it. Now, if we, if we apply this to the game on Saturday, I think the, the goal that we did concede was was just kind of unfortunate, really. If you look at the build-up to the play, we just lost Stephen Ward down to an injury. It got himself down. Because it wasn't a head injury, the game wasn't stopped, which I've got no grouts with. That's the rules. Um, nobody kicked the ball out because, you know, the West Brom were on the attack. Why would they? We wouldn't do the same either. Um, and it's really obvious, and I, th- I think if you look at all the commentary people who are watching the game tend to agree we were just caught out of shape and we were just caught a little bit unawares because we were a man down in defense and that that Burnley defense relies very heavily on a very solid back four that it all moves as one in one unit and it very rarely goes so when one of them's down you know 30 yards up the pitch with an injury it just caught us out of sorts now when that goal goes in, you know, it just gives them a 10-minute spell, West Brom, to think they're fighting for their lives in relegation zone. Oh, we might be able to get something here. So I think I think if we hadn't have conceded that goal, I think we would have just seen the game out quite comfortably and we maybe wouldn't have been having this discussion on this podcast this week. But I think because we lost the goal and we just lost a little bit of, of um, organisation in the side, I think just for a couple of minutes everybody just lost their confidence a little bit. I think that's maybe fair to say. And everybody just thought a bit, oh no, you know, <laughs> plus the hoodoo of being the Hawthorns as well. You know, are we going to concede another one here and lose two point, uh, three points? But it was only for a moment. So I'm not too concerned with, with that. So that's that's sort of the end stages of the game. I do also, I have noticed as well, and this is what I was alluding to at the beginning of the podcast, this side doesn't always, very rarely has a full 90 minutes performance in them at the levels that are really good. So it tends to either be we've seen a really, really poor first half where it's just been absolutely shocking. Um, West Ham, again, being a classic example, I don't know how we would went into that game at nil-nil at half-time. Um, we were really out of sorts in that first half, but then came back in the second half and, and buried the game. Or, as it was on Saturday, a very, very strong first-half performance. Um, and to be fair, relatively strong throughout most of the second half. But again, maybe a 25-minute spell where things um, just, just the intensity dropped a little bit and the focus dropped a little bit. I just actually, can I just put a quick interlude in here? I'm not suggesting for one minute listeners before you all start tweeting me that this was a poor performance. I'm just saying if we look at it as a sliding scale, there was a dip in the second half. Now, what I sort of mentioned at the beginning of this podcast is that actually when you're not one of the top six sides with absolute machine athletes um, running around and ridiculous like 60 million pound players on the bench to bring on to rest other players. Very few teams are able to maintain that um, intensity throughout 90 minutes. So as long as when we're in that dip, we 
maintain a, the focus and we understand what we're doing. And as Deitch says, we do the basic stuff well and competently and we don't lose our heads then that's fine. You know, you can afford that dip of intensity as long as you defend and then you can obviously ramp it back up again to get you over the line. And I'm starting to see that. I'm starting to see that in the dips um, where this Burnley side are just, you know, whichever half it is, they are still performing really competently. It's just, I guess, as a fan, slightly frustrating because you want to be entertained for 90 minutes and you want to see Lennon firing down the wing and putting balls and you want Ashley Barnes to be scissor kicking three times into the back of the net but the reality is is that it's not the league to do that unless you're one of the top six sides so um yes it's there um yes it will get better as each season we spend in the premier league and as our players get fitter and and better and we get sort of better um athletes and better technical players but let's not run before we can walk we you know with what we're doing we're doing really really well and uh I'm really interested to see how that plays next season, to be honest. Yes, some uh, really interesting interesting points there about sort of our consistency. I think what's interesting to note, though, is actually in the last couple of games where it's maybe been the first half, we've, we've not been at our best. Uh, obviously, we've made the changes that we started today's game with, uh, sorry, Saturday's game with. And um, I think that shows that it's maybe taken a little while, but you know, Dash has given the, the, the players who finished some of those games the opportunity to, to show if they can do it from the start. And I think the resounding answer was, you know, yes, they could, but there's still maybe a little bit of tweaking needed to, to get a full 90 minutes out of the side, which, you know, you get free substitutions for a reason. Uh, you may as well uh, take advantage of them and use them well. Um, I think, as we've said already, West Brom uh, inevitably going down uh, to the, the championship. Uh, they've had an awful season. I think they started out quite promising, actually. Their the win at Turf Moor was their second of the season at that point. Um, and who would have thought that they'd only win once more since um, at, at the time? Um, there's been a lot of fans talking over the last couple of days about should we uh, sign anyone from the teams going down? Um, obviously, at the moment, there's only one team you can say for certain and probably going to go down, and that's West Brom. Um, personally... I know some people say, oh, bring Jay back, bring Jay home. Um, I don't think Jay Rodriguez is necessarily the player he was. Um, and I don't think he's necessarily the fit for our team either, which is maybe the most important point. Uh, and if I was to say there's maybe one player from, from West Brom I'd take, maybe Rondon. I, I feel like he's maybe a, a slightly more established version of uh, Ashley Barnes. But obviously with the way Ashley Barnes has, has played this season, if he could get any better... Uh, next year, he's going to be one hell of a striker. So it's a tough one. Um, is there anyone that, you know, from the times you've seen West Brom or from you know previous performance over teams, is there anyone on West Brom's side that, that you'd be interested in taking a look at when uh, the vultures start picking at the, the bones when they go down? Uh, <laughs> how nice that we're in that position as well though that we can start circulating that usually happens to us. We usually get to this point in the season and we start panicking about who we're going to lose when we go down. Um, I've kind of got my eye on three um, West Brom players. I'll start with Jay because you've already mentioned that, um, James, and I think the other two kind of um, two different positions that we can talk about. I had some healthy debates on Twitter over the weekend about this very point, and I agree with you. Um, I personally wouldn't bring him back and I think it which is quite interesting really because it just seems to show how the tide has turned doesn't it because I think three years ago literally would have snapped their hands off to get to bring Jay home um but we've moved on now and I look at Jay and well my initial reaction when I tweeted about this was that I 
I agree with you. I, did, I don't think he has potent, lived up to the potential that he, we thought he would do. Now, a lot of that is just because he's been really unlucky with injury. But my perception of Jay is that he is injury prone and I'd be concerned about his injury record. And I was corrected quite rightly a couple of times by people on Twitter for this. And, and, and I'm glad they did because it just goes to show what your perception of players can be as opposed to the reality. In that apparently Jay's only actually had one injury since he left us. And that was the, was it cruciate that he did? Um, and unfortunately, when he was on his way back, uh, literally very close to to fitness again, he got an, an infection in the in the wound and really really set him back. So it's quite harsh from me, I think, to label him as a crook. Um, it's obviously the the <laughs> the affectionate term for it. Um, when that's potentially not the case, but that was certainly my initial perception. So I'm, I'm quite happy to put that to one side for now. In that that might just be misguided. Um, perception of a player and not the truth. Um, I, I just, uh, you've, we've got to look at the at the strikers that we've got. Um, I'm going to assume that Walters and Wells will maybe move on at the end of the season, um, which leaves us back with um, Wood, Barnes and Vokes. Now, I think I'm putting Vokes in the vulnerable category here. Um, I'm not entirely sure how much longer he's going to be happy, sat on the bench, literally getting, he's hardly had much game time at all this season. Um, but I think, let's think that Walters and Wells will probably move on. Yes, we do need backup up front. Um, I guess, I guess while I've been thinking about this, I might have tucked myself back around the other way. I would. My initial reaction is, is with you, James. And I would prefer Rondon. And I've been saying all season when West Brom have been um, struggling, I've been saying to anybody who listen that I would love to take him if they do go down. But like you say, he's very much, he's very similar to Barnes character. So how do we fit that into the side? Because Rondon's not going to come to us and sit on the bench either. He'll go somewhere else where he'll get be first choice. But it's either or. But how can you? You know, how can you drop Barnes if he carries on next season the way he's playing this season? We're better with, with Barnes with what we know. Um, so in that sense, maybe we can flip it back and say, well, Jay gives a better number 10 option, like, a, 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 I guess, a more natural number 10 and a more talented number 10 than Wells or Walters gave as backup. So I kind of started this segment thinking, oh, no, I'd rather have Rondon. But now I'm thinking, well, maybe... Jay would fit better. So actually, why can't we just have both? If we just signed Jay and Rondon, Wells and Walters go, and that'd be a great strike force, wouldn't it, those five? So yeah, let, let's go with that. So I'm going to be the greedy brat that I am. <laughs> For those people who follow me regularly on Twitter will know that I am a brat. So I'm going to I'm going to be greedy and say I want um, J-Rod and <laughs> I want Rondon. Um, the other rumour that's, that's going around is at the other end of the pitch, and this is gathering a lot of momentum on Twitter in that apparently um, Daichi is going to come back in for Craig Dawson, um, who is um, he's apparently supposed to be a versatile defender, which we all know means can effectively play wherever you want on the back. And we all know how much Sean Dyche loves a versatile player. If you can play in more than one position, you're like gold and little Sean Dyche's eyes light up when he sees you. So um, I, I guess uh, I, I like Dawson. I think he's a, he's a good, good, solid defender and I think he's got quite a decent bit of pace about him. So, um, you know, it, it, I don't mind that signing. I guess my only hesitancy with Dawson would be is predominantly right back, I believe. Um, I'm not really sure we need cover in that area unless he's planning on getting rid of Bardsley. Um, and again, I'm not entirely sure whether Dawson would come 
because Matt Lawton has to be first choice right back. He's had um, a fantastic season. And James, you and I, aren't we? Have we've talked many a times about our frustration about how long Barzil kept him out the side for? Um, and again, another solid performance from him. So they're the only three that I would potentially look at. Um, uh, you know, get all three of them. Why not? Cracky, I'll get a bit greedy. You know, there's three teams that are going to go down that way, so there's plenty of other bones to uh, to pick up before we, we settle on who who we'd like. And obviously, plenty of uh, plenty of teams in the championship who might have some good players who might want to move on. Um, just following on from your point there about us being rich, then uh, the accounts obviously were released since we we last sat down to the podcast, um, and what a story that is for for us compared to you know a few years ago. Um, a net profit of 22.2 million uh, for the financial year and in June 2017. Um, quite sensational, really, when you look at what we've managed to uh, achieve on the pitch in that time as well. Um, we've obviously increased our spending massively compared to what we did previously. I even saw one fan uh, complain, I think it was on a, on a message board, that our increase in wages was troubling, though it was still... Uh, way below turnover, which is quite rare for a Premier League side. So it's going to be interesting to see what next year's accounts show um, with some of the signings we've made. But obviously, we've made big signings over this this period that's covered in these accounts. Uh, it's quite impressive just to see really how how financially healthy the club is at the moment. And obviously, with a, a potential 6th, uh, 7th or 8th finishing position from this season, uh, the money from the Premier League this year is going to be quite impressive. So it's going to be interesting to see the next accounts. Natalie, just, you know, from that, there's only re- the only thing to really read into it is that headline figure. Uh, what was your reaction seeing that? Uh, very pleased, obviously. it's. Uh, I think the main thing that struck me at first was just the actual... Profit? Well, what was the profit? It was the turnover? What was the turnover figure? Hang on, I've lost it again. I'm reading this. Uh, one second. 121 million. Yeah. Uh, sorry, listeners. I was trying to just trying to multitask and failed. Then um, that's quite a figure, and that is surely that must be the the most money Berlin Football Club's ever made in a year in terms of of, of turnover. Surely. Um, but yeah, I think that was what grabbed me when I first read it. I was like, oh my god, how did we? Although interestingly, it's quite interesting to see just you know, 95 million of that comes from one source. So as with most Burnley fans, I do always have that ingrained worry inside me that if anything happens to the Premier League or these revenue rights go down or something goes wrong, that's a massive idea. It just just worries me a little bit that the Premier League as a general rule has all of its eggs in one broadcaster basket. Yeah, I think that's a a worry, obviously, for every team in the league. There's some teams, obviously, that have been... uh, Purchased on mountains of debt uh, that I think obviously will be an even more precarious position than we are. Um, it doesn't really bear thinking about if the if the market, uh, the bottom part of the market for for football, um, TV rights, um, yeah, it's quite advertising a lot of it. It's yeah, yeah, it, it's impressive that uh, to be honest, the the league's managed to get itself into a position where um, it is so. Uh, you know, dependent on almost a monopoly, really, a duopoly, for for want of a better term, uh, of BT and Sky in the in the whole market. And I think, um, you know, with people streaming these days, it is going to change over the next couple of years. They're going to have to change it because uh, Sky and BT are going to see, obviously, the exclusivity of that challenge by people using other means to see games. And I think they're going to have to radically 
overhaul uh, the delivery of uh, football TV coverage. So it's going to be interesting to see where it goes and what that means for, for the financial side. But certainly at the moment, the bubble doesn't seem like it's about to burst. No, and I think we need to kind of not worry about that, don't we? We need to just carry on because you can only really, I guess, plan season by season. I think football is quite an interesting business. And I, I expect it's probably quite unique in that you can have your five-year plans, you can have your 10-year plans, you can look at long-term financial goals and developments and things like that. But essentially, your entire business plan has to change every single May because you have no idea what your income is going to be. You, you can have a general idea, as in if we go down to the, this league, we're going to be around this figure. But you've got to set up all of your financial affairs and your contracts and everything with almost two different um, goalposts. That's a terrible analogy given this is a football podcast, but you know what I mean? It's like, And, and I think Burnley have done really well at, at doing that. We know that Burnley have, especially this year, had um, one of the lowest wage budgets, but have ended up spending a good chunk of their money on player incentives, which we can all assume is a bonus for maintaining their um, position in the Premier League. And as time goes on, maybe we'll see, and I think Garlic probably alluded to this, is that maybe we'll see a slightly the scales slightly the scales slightly tipping back towards a more balanced view, so we can actually pay more as a weekly wage for these players with the the incentives going down a little bit, just to attract that better quality of player and just to get us more stable and, and like you say, a long a long term hopefully financial um, sorry a long term Premier League club. I'm sorry, listeners, I appear to be having a small episode where I've lost the ability to speak, so uh, hopefully you, you picked up on all of that. Yeah, so I think in short, the this takeaway from that is uh, fantastic news. Uh, going to be interested to see how we push on from there, and obviously, um, hopefully, continue to use the the money wisely. I think you know we've seen we've invested a lot in infrastructure, and uh, I think as long as we continue doing that, making wise purchases for the playing side, um, and hopefully keeping hold of uh, Sean Dash, then we we should see um, a, a great period of long term stability. To be honest with the club. Um, Moving back to, to the football side of things, um, a lot of people talking about Europe, and as I've said before on the podcast, I'm as much as great as Europe will be uh, as a fan. I think for the playing side, it's maybe um, a distraction that we might not want. Having had such a, a good season that was maybe unexpected, particularly to people outside of uh, Burnley, um, to then have the added pressure of the, all the extra games that Europe can bring. Um, so I'd rather focus rather on the race for Europe, the race for sixth, uh, and can we catch Arsenal? Uh, personally, I'm very hopeful. I put a couple of quid on quite a while ago at 25 to 1 that we would. Um, it's looking like Arsenal are back to maybe getting the, the, the rub of the green a little and getting some results. But obviously, we still do have to go to the Emirates. And with the way we've been away this season, anything could happen. Um, <gasps> this I, is so exciting, James. <laughs> it is. Now, do you fancy us to to maybe cause a big upset and, and dislodge Arsenal from the top six? Oh my god, I can't even believe I'm going to say this, but yes, yes, why not? Uh, no, I don't know. <laughs> um, my crazy carried away Burnley brain that goes, "Oh my god, we're going to get six is saying yes. Uh, let's do it. We can turn over Arsenal. We can beat Leicester. We can win all of our games and take six. The reality of the situation is that it's not in our hands, and Arsenal have proven for many, many seasons that no matter what where they find themselves in, they can see out 
the end of a season to get where they need to be, you know, where they've had a, a weaker season. How many seasons did they manage to just sneak their way into that fourth spot, even though everybody thought that they wouldn't make top six? And, you know, I know the, this current Arsenal t- side is struggling a little bit and they didn't, they didn't make it last year, but it's, it, they've still got a lot more experience of closing out a season than we do. Um, Plus, they're already in that position as well, and they've got to play us at the Emirates. So, I think six is a big ask. If we beat Arsenal and we beat Leicester, then I'll get excited. But I just think, I just think that might just be a stretch too far. The top six are top six for a reason, and they very, very rarely get dislodged from that. Apart from you know the odd weird season where like Chelsea or United will have a shocker and and fall out. But you know, it, it, the, the, consistently those top six sides for a long time now. So, I, I think. I think seventh is probably the best we can hope for. And actually, if it's going to be difficult enough to get that seventh spot, to be honest, um, never mind going for sixth. Um, I mean, six would be great if we're going to go into Europe because then we can get rid of all of those pre-qualifying games that we don't need to play and just go straight into the group stages, can't we? Um, just picking up on what you said there, actually, James, about unwelcome distraction and number of games, I genuinely want us to go for this and I'm really worried that Dyche is just not feeling it as much as we are and he, he came out after the West Brom game again and said you know, you know European football be careful what you wish for and he's just not filling me with confidence at all that he wants that and I think that's for two reasons I think legitimately he will have some concerns over stretching this side and resources and that's a perfectly legitimate concern I think he's very, very sensible at the helm of our club and I wouldn't swap him for the world. It's, you know, he's very good at keeping us grounded and knowing what we need. Um, But also from a managerial style, we all know how much Deitch loves us to be the underdog. He gets very uncomfortable in interviews if you watch him. If Burnley, like when we went into fourth or when we were um, surviving and, you know, people saying, are you going to go for top six? He's very, very, very quick to... um, slap the, the reporter down and be like, oh, no, 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 we're not, we're not this, we're not claiming to be anything else. And it's, we've never once heard him say, actually, we've played really well this season and we deserve to be where we are and we are really going to push on now for Europe. It's just not his style and that's fair enough. He will always say, do we think we're the finished article? No, we don't. Do we think we're a side that's progressing? Yes, we are. You know, he's he's so keen on keeping us down because he wants us to be seen as, overachieving and I think his managerial style is if you start matching or or if, if you're if you're if when you when you you're normally expected to be exceeding expectations when that becomes the norm people find reasons to drag you down and he knows this league and he knows how the headlines are all you know that somebody's done badly or um you know, look at look, well. Look at look at the headlines this season. You know, Arsenal are in disarray because of um, of Wenger should be going, and there's three massive sides going down. There's unrest at West Ham. They like those kind of headlines because they attract clicks and they attract listeners and they attract viewers. So people don't want to hear about little old Burnley being top seven. They like it for a night, and the night we got into fourth in the Champions League, people say, "Oh, it's amazing! So good what they've achieved." But they're not interested in that in the long term. So I think Dutch is quite keen for us to not be seen as an side expected to be in the top seven every single season because when we maybe finish 10th or 13th the pressure comes on as a disappointment and I think that's a very honest and a very savvy managerial side so 
I'm disappointed in that respect that I don't think his heart's in qualifying for Europe because of the added expectation levels that will come from the press and the added um, expectations that will come from the fans and, of course, then the, um, the, the, the strain on the resources. But from a fan perspective, so many of us never, ever thought we'd see Burnley in Europe and this could be our only chance. You don't know. You don't know what's going to happen next season. It's a horrible league. Look at where Southampton are this season. It's likely to be West Brom, Southampton and Stoke that go down. It could be us next year. You just don't know. So why not go for it? What's the point in pushing yourself up the table all season if you're not going to take advantage of the reward that comes at the end of it? And, you know, if we get into Europe, Sean, treat it as a pre-season friendly. You know, just treat it as a runaround. If we don't get through the qualifiers, fine. But don't lose out on the opportunity to at least get there for the fans. I think it would be an amazing um, reward for this season's effort for the players as well. So I've got a bit of a bugbear with Europe at the moment and um, hopefully we'll get there and hopefully Dutch will relax and not worry about it and we'll, we might be able to enjoy some uh, early August trips away to Europe somewhere. Oh, I can tell you're all in on this uh, Europe idea. Um, <laughs> Don't hide it very well. <laughs> no, I'm surprised by your pessimism on even maintaining seventh, to be honest. Um, there's to me, only really Leicester you should be able to catch us with the, the run-ins we've about. got. Yeah, it's Leicester I'm um, worried about. I'm playing Leicester at home, which yeah. to me, I think, I think we're likely to win. Yeah, I think you're right. Just just very quickly put it on that. When I say I, I think seventh will be a, a hard ask, it's only because Leicester are breathing down the next. They had a taste of it you know, with, with the, when they got into the Champions League and they'll want Europe again. We've got to play them. If we beat them, then yes, it's definitely ours. But I think it's genuinely going to hinge on that game. If we drop any points, they just don't look like they're dropping points at the moment. And they've got as comfortable are running as we do so I think that's that's my only thing I think they're just slightly more experienced than us that's the only concern I've got well I'm going to be positive about something different I think we'll get sick um, I think we'll we'll beat everyone put in front of us for, for the rest of the season and I think Arsenal will slip up against Manchester United uh, which will be enough for us to, to secure sick there you go uh, last thing to talk about this week uh, before we, we wrap things up uh, Watford away um, coming up next. Uh, fancy our chances, Natalie? Uh, I don't see why not. Uh, I think Watford haven't had the season that was expected of them. I think everybody assumed that those top, those sort of 7th, 8th, ninth, and 10th places would be the likes of Watford, Everton, um, West Ham, Southampton, you know, very much put put Watford up there. They made some um, savvy signings in, in the summer. They took Andre Gray from us, who hasn't quite had the season, has he, that was expected of him. They've ended up sacking the manager. I think I think their problem this season came from the disruption um, when Silva was touted for the Everton job. And if you believe what was like read in the press, and obviously I say that with a pinch of salt because we all know the, the garbage that's written about us at times, um, the, the, the reports very strongly were that, that you know, um, Everton were prepared to pay 10 million in compensation for Silver and Silver wanted to go and the Watford board said, no, you're not having it. And and after that, Silver's heart just kind of left, didn't he? They didn't win for ages and he ended up getting himself sacked um, a couple of months later. So, and since then, they've, they've really struggled to, to gain a bit of traction, I think, on this season. Now they're safe. They're not going to finish in the top 10, I don't think. Uh, the top 10? Top six, maybe. I don't think they No, not top six. Top six. Top ten. My God, what's wrong with me? Um, I don't think they're gonna, you know, do much more than they are now. So maybe they 
kind of on the beach already. Um, so in that sense, we've got more to play for with our European push. As James said, they're going for, uh, what's it called? Um, they're going for, for sixth place. I mean, Watford start the game nine points behind us. So they're comfortably clear of, of relegation. I'm actually saying that. They're not on 40 points yet. Do we think James' 40 points is going to need to be the target for survival this season? I'm not sure it is. Um, I don't think so. I think 36 might do it, actually. I think anyone above... Huddersfield and Swansea. I think West Ham and above are safe. I think West Ham are still in danger. Oh, do you think Um, so? Yeah. They're five points clear now. I think, yeah, but... With a game in hand. Yeah, but you never know. Yeah, Brighton on 34. For me, I feel like it's one. I think Stoke and West Brom are down and it's one from Southampton Palace, Huddersfield, Swansea. But anyway, um, yeah, so in that sense, I don't think Watford might be looking over the shoulder and want to get to 40 points, but I don't think they are. um, I don't think they're going to be too concerned that they're not safe. If we go out and play like we did at West Ham, second half, like we played at West Brom, then I can't say anything other than a comfortable win. That said, West Ham, uh, sorry, Watford have got a pretty good side. They've got goals in them, and on their day, they can they can beat anyone in this league if they wanted to. So it won't be an easy game. Um, it's going to be. It sounds like a massive cliche, but it's going to be one of those awful games where I'm going to say that thing where I say we could get absolutely battered or we could win quite comfortably. And I honestly don't know which way it's going to go. As long as Andre doesn't score against us, then I'll be happy. Setting setting the bar incredibly low there, Natalie, um, but. I think we should, we should beat Watford. Um, since he beat Chelsea quite comprehensively, they seem to have struggled to score a, a little bit, which I think will uh, really play into our hands considering we're not uh, a team that really afford the op- opposition too many opportunities to, to score goals. So um, I think it'll be a tight one, but I think we, we will just edge it. Um, and hopefully we do and, and can continue this, this push uh, into the end of the season. Um and that's pretty much it for this week. So uh, we'll be back, obviously, next week. Hopefully talking about a win at Watford, uh, continuing our fantastic uh, away form this season. Um, thanks, as always, to, to you, the listeners, for, for listening to the podcast. If you've got any feedback whatsoever, please give us an email, podcast at noneinever.net. Uh, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, both noneinever.net. Um, and hopefully um, you'll be tuning in again next week uh, to, to hear us talk about another win. I've been James Bird, and this has been the None and Ever podcast. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.